If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. We've got Camilla Wishaw back again today. She's going to talk to us about anxiety, stress, and behavioural issues. And also, she's going to relate it to diet and supplements to see what role they play. Now, if you've listened to Camilla before, you've probably been on Horse Chat. She's done quite a few chats for us about gastrointestinal health, equine asthma, respiratory, and horses with ulcers, and quite a few good things, just about optimal health and well-being for horses, which is really her passion. She's at um, Optum Equine, which we'll um, link to that website from our chat. And um, I'm really looking forward to today's chat. Now, are you there, Camilla? I am, Gladys. Wonderful. Camilla, this topic, what made you choose this topic? It's ideal for our listeners, you know, just talking to our listeners and, you know, teaching some of them and having horses do have that anxiety and stress and behavioural issues sometimes. So I think a great talk. Thank you. When we first get started, actually, before we get started, I just want to remind people about the mission at International Horse College. So the mission at International Horse College is to improve the welfare of horses around the world through the safe education of their riders, handlers and trainers. Have a look at the wide variety of equine courses at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, we're talking about improving the welfare of horses and the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers, and I think this is just a really good one, you know, because what we may interpret as a horse misbehaving can be fixed through other means. Um, Camilla, what are some of the potential contributors then to anxiety or behavioural issues in horses or in ponies as well? So it's a really good place to start, Glennis, and I think um, it's really important to highlight that there are many, many, many factors which can contribute to anxiety or stress or behavioural issues in our horses. And in most cases, it's generally a combination of factors. So, you know, you certainly can have a case where it's a single contributing factor, but generally... um, there are multiple continue, uh, contributing factors. Some may be obvious, some may be really less obvious. So some of the ones that I see most commonly in practice are things like horses or ponies being in pain. So that can certainly contribute to behavioural issues. We can have learned behaviour, so that can contribute to poor behaviour. We can have poor fishing equipment, so whether that be saddle, um, bridle, bit, girth, um, the disposition of a rider or handler of a horse. And this is one that's really, really interesting and I think can be quite easy to overlook. Um, there's been a nice little bit of research to show that when a human, whether it's a rider or a handler, is stressed or anxious, their cortisol levels go up, so a stress hormone cortisol, and also their heart rate go up. Now, when our horses are around us, when our cortisol level goes up and our heart rate goes up, what the research has shown as, is that the, those horses around those people, their heart rate will go up and their cortisol levels will go up. So if we're wired, we're stressed, we're on edge, that can really rub off on our horses. Cortisol levels, uh, a lot of things can cause changes in cortisol levels, stress being one of them, but there are many, many things which can change cortisol levels and that can contribute to poor behaviour in our horses. Um, If our horses and ponies are in isolation, we need to remember that naturally in the wild, they're herd animals and some horses and ponies really don't cope well on their own. If we've got a workload that's too physically and or mentally demanding on our horse or contrastingly is really boring for our horse, the same old, same old, that can contribute to behavioural issues. Changes in hormone levels, um, environmental factors. So again, remembering that our horses are flight animals. Their natural instinct is to flee from danger. So if there's something in their environment that makes them feel threatened, that can contribute to behavioural issues. Side effects of some medications, things like if we think of a drug like clenbuterol, which is commonly in Australia sold under the trade name Clairgel, 
which is sometimes used it for uh, helping with airway conditions and things like asthma and breathing difficulties. That type of drug is belongs to a class of drugs of what we call uh, beta-2 receptor agonists. Part of their action speeds up central nervous system activity, so drugs can directly, or some medications can directly cause our horses to be stressed or anxious. Um, other drugs or medications which change gut microflora or nutrient levels or availabilities can indirectly um, influence behaviour. High histamine levels, so if our horses have an allergic response, uh, they can produce high levels of the neurotransmitter histamine, which can cause our horses, you know, or influence them to be stressed or anxious. And then I suppose what we'll probably really hone in on this chat today is those factors which are more directly related to diet and nutrition alone. So a horse's gastrointestinal health, um, their production of neurotransmitters and the functions of those neurotransmitters, inflammation and nutrition, so the actual building blocks of their diet and how we feed them. Camilla, I love the way that you've answered that. You know, I ask you a simple question and you've just gone into, and, and you're such a horse person too, you know, because you understand that just the saddle and the bridle have to fit correctly and the horse could be sore and, and things that a horse person would know. And then you've brought in all of your extra knowledge as well. Yeah. So we want to talk about the gastrointestinal health. Tell us a little bit more, go into a bit more detail about that gastrointestinal health and how it can play in poor behaviour or stress in horses and ponies. Yeah. So I think commonly in horse circles when we think of gastrointestinal health, often we think what constitutes gastrointestinal health is the absence or lack of ulcers. Mm -hmm. um, and we often think poor gastrointestinal health is just a horse with ulcers. Yet gastrointestinal health is so much more than that. Um, so if we look at the most basic functions of the gastrointestinal tract. And when we talk about the gastrointestinal tract, we're starting with the mouth, following right through stomach, small intestine, large intestine, right out to the end where everything comes out. Um, but the prime role of the gastrointestinal health is to digest what we feed our horse, to break it down, to absorb the nutrients from it and metabolise those nutrients. So to use what's contained in the feed for a whole heap of bodily processes. Um, gastrointestinal health also relates to what we call the epithelial integrity. So they're the cells lining the stomach, the small intestines and the large intestines and the microflora balance throughout the gastrointestinal tract. So in some ways, similar to humans, horses have a gastrointestinal microbiome. So a population of largely bacteria, but also viruses, fungi, protozoa, archaea. Um, and when they're in a nice balance, um, then that promotes overall really good health in our horses. And when that microflora is out of balance, we can get a lot of different health problems. Um, just want to uh, distinct or make distinct that a human microflora balance and a horse microflora balance are quite different. But the fact that we have this population um, of microbes which significantly influence our health and our horse's health is really important to take note. Um, on that too, the gastrointestinal health is responsible for about anywhere from 60 to up to 90% we're finding now of the production of neurotransmitters. Um, so neurotransmitters are natural chemical messengers produced in our horse's bodies, ours too. Things like serotonin, dopamine, GABA, and a whole host of others. And they significantly influence a horse's behavior, motor control, learning ability, temperament, disposition. Um, we know that there's a gut-brain access, so that microflora population in the gut communicates with the brain and vice versa. So what's happening in the stomach and in the gut, not just the stomach, so the gut, the small intestine, large intestine, really influences what happens in our horse's brain and how they behave. We've also got or need to consider inflammation. So inflammation within the gastrointestinal tract influences systemic inflammation, so levels of inflammation throughout a whole, the whole of the horse's body. And again, we know that anywhere from 60 to 80% of inflammatory mediators are produced in the horse's gastrointestinal tract. And if we've got a horse with inflamed gastrointestinal tract, changes in neurotransmitter production and function, then we can have a really not happy, a really stressed, anxious horse. On that too, and it goes 
hand in hand with inflammation is that the cells lining our horse's gastrointestinal tract are really, really sensitive to pain and pressure. So if there's any inflammation or buildup of gas within the gastrointestinal tract, that can cause um, disproportional amounts of pain. And we can't see that from the outside, but it can be why a horse can be really on edge, really cranky, really sensitive. If we think about when we're in pain, unless we're someone who's incredibly stoic, that can really make us cranky and irritable and sensitive. Um, so we really want good gastrointestinal health if we want happy, healthy, well-performing and well-behaving horses. Okay. Now, you talked about neurotransmitters. Can you talk a little bit more about them and also just about the role that they play in these horse behavioural issues? Sure thing, Glennis. Um, so, again, put quite simply, neurotransmitters are natural chemical messengers produced in our horses' bodies, um, and they play large roles in um, horses' temperament, mood, disposition, uh, motor control, their ability to learn, movement patterns. Um, they're largely derived from gut microflora. So, again, we want that healthy balance of microflora and we want to be feeding and promoting for a healthy balance of microflora. Um, and by fostering really healthy microflora balance, we're encouraging the production mainly of three key neurotransmitters that are needed to keep our horses or help keep our horses calm, relaxed, at ease with good gastrointestinal function. And they're primarily neurotransmitters called GABA, serotonin and dopamine. Um, there's a healthy balance. If we have too much of any of those neurotransmitters, they can cause issues, but it's probably more common that some of those neurotransmitters, if our horses aren't being fed well and managed in a way that promotes good gastrointestinal health, a lot of those neurotransmitter levels can be low. So, for example, if GABA levels are low, we can have a horse that has heightened anxiety, um, heightened response to stress. If serotonin levels are low, our horses can be more, have a tendency towards more being more aggressive or depressed or doing repetitive behaviours. And if dopamine's low, dopamine levels are low, we can see that horse that's just really, really off in their mood and it can, can sort of go from one extreme. If they're low, they can just be almost depressed. Uh, but similarly, if dopamine levels go too high, it can contribute to more aggressive behaviours. So there are definitely other neurotransmitters too. Um, which can come out of whack, particularly, again, if there are dietary or management or medication factors which aren't promoting that healthy microflora balance. Things like uh, glutamine, things like histamine, sorry, glutamate um, and histamine, if those levels are high, they can really compound that picture too. Okay. I love the way that I just answered such a simple question. <laughs> you go into so much more depth than, uh, you know, and just, just give our listeners a sort of I suppose the sort of chat that they've just got to go, what did you say? And they've got to go back and re-listen to bits as, as well. Yeah. I suppose, yeah. you know, in this age of social media and things like that, it's easy for people to say, you know, this causes that. But I think it's really helpful to understand, well, why and how. And it's rarely X equals Y. Generally, with most things, there are nuances. So, again, some of those neurotransmitters which help promote a calm horse if we have excessively high levels of those neurotransmitters, then sometimes they tip the other way. So it's finding a healthy balance. And I think we'll probably get into it when we go further into the conversation, but it, understanding these things helps us to best feed our horses and choose the best supplements to help with behaviour. And unless we get our heads around these other things, any supplementation is probably going to be quite limited in its efficacy. Yep, yep. Now, earlier on you talked about inflammation but I just want you to go on and just tell us a little bit more about how the inflammation actually affects the behaviour. Okay, great question. Um, so when we have changes in uh, gastrointestinal microflora, um, adverse changes, so what we would commonly term as dysbiosis, which really just means um, a population of microflora which is not healthily balanced, that can lead to changes in cortisol production um, and chronic uh, cortisol production can then lead to dysfunctional cortisol production. So again, when something goes too high for too long, it then, it then loses its ability to 
um, be helpful. When we get cortisol dysfunction, we can get chronic stress, and then that chronic stress can then further promote cortisol dysfunction. So a horse that's in an environment where it's constantly stressed, that stress might be overtraining um, or asking too much of our horse. That stress might be related to nutritional insufficiencies or deficiencies. That stress may be related to the way the horse is managed. It might be in isolation. Those uh, changes in cortisol production can really lead to high levels of inflammation and vice versa. If we've had something that's promoted high, constant high inflammation levels in our horses, that ability to regulate their cortisol levels lost. So it's, it becomes um, a self-perpetuating cycle. We also have, uh, when we have changes in gastrointestinal cell integrity, uh, I think we touched on right at the very start, that can lead to increased inflammation, uh, levels of inflammation. And then, again, we get into a self-perpetuating cycle. Those levels of increased inflammation can then further compromise uh, the integrity of the cells finding the gastrointestinal tract. When we get high levels of inflammation, we tend to get um, high production of some of those neurotransmitters, which can lead to our horses being on edge and stressed and have heightened anxiety, so things like glutamate production. And we tend to have a down regulation of serotonin, dopamine and GABA production. So those nice, calming neurotransmitters. Um, in terms of inflammation, uh, you know, one of the things we have most control of is the way we feed our horses and what we feed our horses. Um, so again, we'll, we'll hone in further on that, I'm sure, as we go along. Um, but remembering that, you know, the gastrointestinal tract is the prime uh, producer of inflammatory mediators. So if we've got an unhealthy gastrointestinal tract, 70 to 80% of the inflammation within the body is going to be derived from there. Two uh, areas which are really important to be aware of and can catch people out in terms of inflammation, even if they're feeding a really good diet and their horse's management practices are really good, is supplementation of iron can lead to high levels of inflammation, particularly somewhere like in Australia, like us, where our soil and pasture levels tend to be naturally high in iron. If we go and give our horses blood-building supplements or um, supplemental iron, blood builders, blood boosters, those excessive levels of iron can further perpetuate high levels of inflammation. So we want to be really careful around that. Um, the other area which can catch people is overweight horses and ponies. So fat tissue in our horses and ponies acts as what we call an endocrine organ. So that fat itself produces different hormones and inflammatory mediators. And within reason, the more fat tissue a horse or pony carries, the more inflammatory mediators and the more inflammation their body is producing. So again, even if we've got our horse on a really healthy diet, um, but they're significantly overweight, then they can still have really high levels of inflammation. Um, and then I suppose it's just worth remembering that widespread inflammation and high levels of inflammation increase uh, horses' susceptibility um, and their sensation of feelings of pain. So again, remembering that a horse in a horse or pony who is in pain is going to be more likely to um, have behavioural issues than one that's not. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Okay, so if we're looking for calm, happy horses and ponies, all right? What are the key feeding principles that you would advise? Just just to say, right, the aim is 
We want the horses to be calm, but we want them to be happy. Very good question. Definitely. So we want to start with the basics, and that is making sure our horses get enough fibre, particularly long stem fibre. So that fibre found in hay. That long stem fibre is absolutely critical to promote and feed that healthy balance of microflora. So again, remembering those microflora play roles in those neurotransmitters. They uh, have those important roles in inflammation. Put simply, if our horses are on a high-fibre diet, that gives that microflora population the best possible chance to be in healthy balance. That in turn um, can help promote those calming, relaxing, happy neurotransmitters, can help keep uh, inflammation at bay or at minimum. The other thing in terms of fibre is we know that our horses in the wild will spend 17 plus hours grazing, heads down, chewing. If we don't mimic that grazing uh, activity and if we think of horses in stables or stalls, boxes, small yards or dry paddocks, dry lots, if we're not giving them hay to mimic that grazing pattern and providing that hay, you know, as close to 24 hours as possible, they're going long periods of time um, without grazing. That That mimics a stress response in our horses and causes those changes in cortisol levels, which again can feed and feed into the whole picture. So starting with fibre and remembering an absolute minimum, our horses need 1.5% of their body weight in dry matter fibre daily. Now, depending on when listeners tune into this podcast, um, how relevant this topic is, but it's quite relevant at the moment in that we're just coming into spring, there's a lot of lush grass around um, many parts of the country right now, and it can be really tempting for us to stop feeding hay or reduce the ration of hay we give our horses when there's a lot of nice, lush, green grass. This can become a problem in that grass is really low in dry matter fibre. So grass is, you know, 80 to 90% water, whereas hay is, you know, 70, 80, 90% dry matter, so that fibre. So if we suddenly stop feeding hay or reduce hay um, that we give our horses just because uh, there's a lot of grass, they're not going to get enough dry matter fibre. They still will get some of the benefits of chewing, um, so, you know, less of a stress response because they're um, still grazing, but they're not going to get those benefits of dry matter fibre. Um, on a feeding basic, but slightly different topic, is it's really common for people, owners, riders, who are having challenging behavioural issues with their horses to start sort of elimination diets or very restrictive diets. Often these diets can become quite low in protein. And protein is absolutely crucial for our horses for many reasons, in terms of immune health, recovery, uh, muscle growth. But from a behavioural perspective, protein contains building blocks called amino acids. And many of those amino acids are needed for the production and the function of those calming, relaxing, happy neurotransmitters. So again, if we put our horses on a diet that's low in protein, chances are they're not going to get those key neurotransmitters. It's also worth keeping in mind that if a horse has high levels of inflammation or if they've been losing weight or have lost weight, their relative need for protein is going to be much higher than many other horses and ponies. Minerals and vitamins to a degree, but more so minerals play a really important role in the production and function of many of those um, neurotransmitters. And if we go back the example of spring and letting our horses rely on grass only for their nutrient intake, if we're not appropriately supplementing baseline mineral needs, they won't get those sufficient levels of those minerals from the grass. So again, our horses have, like us, you know, baseline daily requirements of minerals needed not only for good health, but to promote those uh, nice balance of neurotransmitters. The other big thing to keep in mind is it's not just what we feed our horses, but how we feed them. So again, we want to have them mimicking grazing or, you know, consuming long stem fibre for the majority of the day and evening. But in terms of giving hard feeds, we want to make sure that any concentrated feed is really quite small in volume. So if we think about our typical 500 kilogram average fully grown adult horse, um, we don't want to be feeding hard feeds 
concentrated feed more than two and a half kilograms in volume um, in that horses' stomachs don't have the ability to stretch much. So if we give them a big feed, it's only one way it can go. The stomach can't hold much. They can't vomit like us. The feed then, if we're giving them big, hard feeds that don't require much chewing, unlike hay, then that feed has to rush out of the stomach to allow the more feed that's coming down their throat in. When that feed rushes through the stomach, it passes into the small intestine and large intestine, not properly digested, um, and then it'll change gut microflora balance and population um, and the production of those neurotransmitters. So um, not just what we feed, but also how we feed our horses is really, really important. Mm, 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 that's good. Tell us about deficiencies, like if there's any nutritional deficiencies or any excesses even that can be associated with, you know, and I don't want to say bad behaviour, but poor or anxious or agitated or stressed behaviour. Great question. So if we consider nutritional deficiencies or, you know, even relative insufficiencies, firstly, again, if we want to effectively help a horse, it's working out. A, if, you know, there are indeed nutritional deficiencies or insufficiencies, but B, why they've happened. So um, you could be feeding a horse everything on paper that adds up, ticks the boxes, covers all their baseline nutrient requirements, but they might still have insufficiencies or deficiencies. So um, dietary intake is an important concern. Um, we can be feeding below required levels or we can be feeding required levels, but if they are consuming things in their diet or being fed medications or supplemented with medications that inhibit the absorption of some of those nutrients, then that can result in nutritional insufficiencies. A good example of that and a medication which is used a lot is omeprazole. That is the key active ingredient in the majority of ulcer medications on the market. That will interfere with the body's ability to properly digest and absorb things like calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, zinc, some of our divalent minerals, which are needed for the production of those calming neurotransmitters. So again, you could be feeding your horse everything perfectly on paper, but if they can't absorb it properly, then they're not able to use it. Um, we can have insufficiencies or deficiencies that result due to changes in gut microflora. So again, if we remember that healthy hindgut microflora population, one of the roles of that population, which I think I neglected to mention earlier, is that that microflora synthesise or produce B group vitamins in horses. Um, B group vitamins, that includes biotin, but also B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, vitamin K. But looking at your B group vitamins, they're needed for a lot of your calming neurotransmitters. So again, you could be feeding a horse everything on paper, but if it's got really poor gastrointestinal health or you know, particularly poor microflora balance, then they're not necessarily going to be getting their B group vitamins they need. Factors which increase losses in our horses. So some of our medications promote increased excretion of particular nutrients. Um, if our horses have diarrhea, they can have increased excretion of some nutrients. If our horses have gastrointestinal bleeding, um, they have increased losses of some nutrients, so it's important to consider them. We need to think about times when our horses may have increased requirements of particular nutrients. This may be when they're under stress, when they're in high work, when they're pregnant, stallions when they're breeding. Um, and one that's not so common but is certainly relevant in some cases are heavy metal burdens. So if our horses been in an area and they've accumulated high levels of particular heavy metals, then that can definitely interfere with nutritional uh, or result in nutritional deficiencies or insufficiencies. On that, some of the most uh, common nutrients, which you might consider uh, with deficiencies or insufficiencies, are things like protein, so that provide uh, your amino acids, B group vitamins, so again, thinking back to that healthy gut microflora, magnesium, zinc, sodium, selenium, and your omega-3 fatty acids. On the flip side, it's really important to remember that with some of those nutrients, too much of them can be just as harmful, if not worse, than too little. So we can have um, issues resulting from too little that contribute to poor behaviour or anxiety or stress, but 
on the flip side, nutritional excesses can certainly um, contribute. Um, and some other nutritional excesses that we are worth considering are your omega-6 fatty acids, um, which are commonly found in your vegetable oils, a lot of your fat-based feeds. We have high levels of omega-6 fatty acids and relatively low levels of omega-3 fatty acids, and that certainly um, plays into the production of neurotransmitter production and function. If our horse has high levels of iron in their diet, and that's not properly accounted for, that can certainly contribute. Oxidised or rancid fats and oils can certainly be an excess that drives inflammation and plays into that whole behavioural picture. And the other major one probably is starch and undigested starch. Um, corn is definitely the worst offender here. But, you know, our horse's digestive tracts aren't made for large amounts of starch, and particularly if we're giving starch in large feeds, that feeds rushing through the stomach, not having time to be properly digested in the small intestine, and then lands in the, um, uh, in the large intestine undigested. That ferments there and changes that microflora population. And the only thing that should ferment in the hindgut and that we want to ferment in the hindgut is fibre. Fibre is beneficial to ferment in the hindgut, but starch by no means is. Just on that, those nutritional excesses and deficiencies, that may, uh, that you know, those ones I mentioned are by no means conclusive, but they're some of the ones that I most commonly see in practice. Okay. What about, you know, we see them advertise the grain-free and the low-starch feeds that are promoted to help with horse behaviour. So that, should we be using those or not using those? And tell us a little bit more about those. That's a really good question, Leonard. Um, what we need to be aware of in terms of that is that by and large, companies will promote their products to sell them. They're in a business. Their business is to make money and sell their products. Now, a lot of uh, products on the market that advertise as being grain-free or low starch can often contain what we call meal run, meal mix, or grain byproducts. Um, meal run and meal mix and grain byproducts, are, as grain, the name grain byproduct suggests, are leftovers from the processing of grain. So any product that contains those is not truly grain free. And if you start reading the labels of a lot of feeds, plenty that claim to be grain free actually contain those ingredients. The big thing that we want to consider with grains. Um, and as I mentioned before, corn is the worst, is that large amounts of those grains and or grains that aren't micronized or cooked or extruded have really poor digestibility in our horses. So again, they'll rush through the stomach and the small intestine, end up in the large intestine where they ferment and change that uh, microflora population and produce byproducts that promote inflammation. Um, so that's, you know, that's the biggest consideration and remembering that that in turn will change neurotransmitter production and function and will cause more inflammation. It's also important to remember that we, when we get changes in that microflora production and function, um, that in itself can render the gastrointestinal tract lining more susceptible to uh, compromised cellular integrity, so damage to the cells. Um, the other thing about low uh, grain-free or low-starch uh, feeds, they tend to be quite high in fat. So something's got to replace the bulk of that grain in that feed, and it tends to be fat. Those fats, because um, of cost, of availability, those fats tend to be fats that are higher in omega-6 fatty acids. So again, remembering that when we have high levels of omega-6 fatty acids and relatively low levels of omega-3 fatty acids, that can drive inflammation um, and changes in the neurotransmitter production and function. So those are very much uh, factors which we should keep in mind in terms of grain-free, low-starch feeds. Um, there are certainly good grain-free and low-starch feeds on the market, but we really need to really examine what's in the ingredients, um, the quantities of the different ingredients and know what we're looking for. So. Uh, Grain-free or low-starch feeds can be useful, but um, really honing in on the ingredients is key. I suppose the other thing that's worth considering is with the individual horse we have, the workload they're in, do they actually need grain in their diet? Um, we could argue that 
horses in really heavy training, uh, some resources, you know, for example, you know, perform better aerobically um, or anaerobically on grain, you know, a grain-based diet. But we really need to stop and consider, you know, what nutritive value are grains playing in our diet. And if we choose to go down a grain-free path, um, just being really wary about what's in feeds and remembering that the job of feed companies and supplement companies is to sell their products um, and they can get very, very clever at marketing. Yep, okay, okay. What about um, spring grass? You know, is it the uh, the myth that spring grass can make a horse or a pony go crazy or is this just something that happens at that time of the year anyway? Great question again. Um, and again, you, I hear so often in practice, you know, Spring grass has hit my horse or my pony's going nuts, going crazy. It's off its head. Um, I would say, firstly, look at it holistically. So don't just blame one thing. Often, again, when we hit spring grass, we will also stop or reduce the amount of hay we give, again, because we think there's plenty of um, grass, so they probably don't need as much hay. But if we stop to think about spring grass, again, it's typically lush. It typically has a high water content. Um and low long-stem fibre content. So, again, if we cut back or stop feeding hay and we rely on grass, we're not giving them um, that key fibre they need for that healthy microflora balance um, and the production of neurotransmitters. If we also stop giving them a suitable balance of feed or hard feed, again, we can go, there's a lot of grass, we don't need to feed them hard feed, they're not going to get sufficient levels of those amino acids and some of those key minerals which are needed, those neurotransmitters. So that's one element of it. Another element of it is that lush green grass is really high in potassium. Now, if we have really high levels of potassium and suddenly have really high levels of potassium, we can have reduced absorption and increased excretion of magnesium. Um, magnesium is one of many minerals needed for some of those carbon neurotransmitters. It's not the only one, um, but that can also play a role in there. Um, so, yes, yeah, spring grass certainly can, but it's generally not um, just the grass itself. It's usually a combination of fibre, um, long fibre, the absorption of minerals um, in association with those high levels of potassium. And look, some of our grasses, and particularly ryegrass that come on strong after a cold winter, that can be really high in fructans, so a particular type of sugar or carbohydrate called fructans. Our horses can't digest or break down fructans, so fructans will pass into the hindgut where they will ferment and disrupt that healthy microflora balance. So again, we get that flow-on effect of changing neurotransmitter production and function. So spring grass can definitely contribute to poor behaviour, you know, heightened anxiety or excitability in our horses, but it's generally multifaceted in how it can do that and identifying which of those factors um, is influencing our horses is really important. Okay. What about the calming supplements? There's quite a lot on the market. Can you tell us a little bit about them? I'm sure there's some that are better than others or are they going to work, not work? Just, um, yeah, go into a bit more depth about these calming supplements. Great question, Glennis. Firstly, it's worth prefacing this with if we just throw a handful of supplements at our horses, whether these be minerals, whether they be herbs, whether they be other nutrients, if we throw supplements at our horses without addressing the contributing factors and understanding what is making our horses' behaviour poor or, you know, anxious or stressed, then the success of the treatment or of those supplements will likely be really, really limited. So that's why, you know, it's so important to identify and work out what's happening for our horses before we go using supplements. Because if we just throw calming supplements at our horses, then we're not likely um, to have much success. It's worth noting too that particularly in Australia, and some other parts of the world. I can't speak for all parts of the world because I'm not completely sure, but I know certainly in Australia that there is no strict regulation around marketing and claims that supplements and supplement companies can make. So 
we need to be very, very careful about what we believe and what we buy into. Um, so we may not be getting product that we think we are or the product, things that it's claimed to do may not be substantiated. So it's really worth keeping that in mind. The other thing I think we need to keep in mind is we often tend to focus on nutrition or supplements being a magic cure for our horses because it's really easy for us to control them or change them. It tends to be uh, much harder, much more expensive to address, you know, if our tack's not fitting properly, if our saddle doesn't fit properly, if we're not feeding correct size meals, if we're not feeding sufficient hay, if we've got our horse in a stressful environment, if we're stressed, it can be much easier for us just to throw supplements or a supplement at our horse and think that will work rather than addressing the true factors. So it's, you know, definitely worth keeping that in mind. And for those reasons, there's some of the many reasons why many supplements don't work or aren't really effective. So if we look at some of the most commonly, you know, available calming supplements on the market, they tend to uh, contain some ingredients like magnesium or B1 or tryptophan. They're some of the most common nutrients you'll see. On them, it's worth noting that while magnesium can be really useful in some instances, we need to use a form that's highly bioavailable. So magnesium will come in many, many different forms. Commonly we'll see, you know, in supplements on the market, magnesium oxide or magnesium sulfate or magnesium chloride. These have really poor bioavailability. So our horses aren't able to readily digest, absorb and utilise that magnesium and they'll largely end up excreting it. And some of those forms of magnesium can actually cause or contribute to diarrhoea and gastrointestinal upsets in our horses. So factors which can, you know, potentially make their behaviour more stressed, more irritable, more upset. Something like magnesium too, we need to be really aware that if we go and give it to our horses, particularly in high levels and particularly long term, it will interfere with the uptake of other minerals which compete for the same uh, receptor absorption site. So things like zinc, calcium, phosphorus, things like that. So Again, we need to be really mindful of the form we use, how we use it, and how long we use it for. We also, you know, something like magnesium, we think, you know, it might be great on its own, but there are other what we call cofactors, so other nutrients that are needed alongside it to help promote um, some of those calming neurotransmitters or their activity. So along the lines of GABA. Something like B1, if our horses have good gastrointestinal health and we're feeding them, you know, that high dry matter fibre diet and feeding them in a manner that promotes healthy gut microflora, they'll be producing their own B1. And I think it's ultimately we'll want our horses to have the best overall health. So looking at supporting their own production of that rather than supplementing it if we can. Tryptophan, which is a commonly used nutritional supplement for calming, it's actually really worth noting that the horse-specific studies that have been done on tryptophan has shown that given in low doses to horses, it actually increases excitement and given in high doses, it actually reduces endurance capacity and can cause hemolytic anemia, so the breakdown of red blood cells, neither of which we want. And it just goes to show that something that might be effective in other species you know, particularly humans, and I think there may be some research for it in dogs, but don't quote me on that. Dogs are certainly not the level of an area of expertise for me, but just showing that because some nutrients are commonly used successfully in some areas doesn't mean they're great or well indicated for our horses. And then if we think of some of the calming herbs, things like valerian, chamomile, we need to consider are they permissible if we're competing our horses? if our horses are racing, so are they permissible in your jurisdiction? We need to consider what form those herbs are given in. So typically people will use dried chamomile and valerian, which will have varying levels of active constituents, so the parts of the herbs that actually have therapeutic effect on our horses. We need to consider potential possible contraindications or when they're not suitable for horses. We need to consider potential allergens in those herbs. And if we're not sourcing herbs that are produced under strict TGA guidelines in Australia, then there's no control, again, that 
a product that claims to have valerian or chamomile or a particular herb in it necessarily has that herb um, of that quality. So just being really mindful that throwing herbs and supplements and even well-marketed products on our horses can be risky, can be dangerous to their health, it may be non-permissible and often is really just ineffective um, without understanding what's happening for our horse, using an appropriate dose um, and addressing the factors that are contributing to our horse's poor behaviour. You know, you, you've just given us so much information, Camilla. It's been great. So if we're going to put all this into practice, if you've got something just to sum up that you can, um, you know, even if it's to get in touch with you or contact you directly, you know, for their individual horse, because you've sort of given us an overview, give us something to put it all into practice first and then maybe talk about getting in touch or contacting you directly. Yeah. So in putting it to practice, for any change to be really effective and to be targeted, we want to identify and address why there are behavioural issues in our horses. Um, from my perspective, that's going to involve taking a thorough case history, looking at a horse's exact diet, looking at its workload, its training load, going through its medication history, looking at the supplements that the owner may have tried with it or that it's currently on. So getting all those pieces of the puzzle together to work out why that horse um, is indeed anxious or stressed. And you know, in some cases, it will um, involve referral to a vet to see if there's underlying pathology or physical causes of pain. So firstly, identifying and addressing why, what's happening in the first place. We want to implement those sound dietary basics. So again, I think if there's one thing you can take away from this talk that will help a horse's overall health in so many ways is making sure we feed it adequate fibre. So at least 1.5% of its weight in dry matter fibre daily. Um, and when we're talking about dry matter fibre, we're predominantly talking about hay and long stem fibre. It's really important to remember that we can't out supplement a bad diet. So again, if we don't have sufficient fibre in the diet or if we're falling short on particular minerals, then no matter how much supplements we throw at a horse you can't out supplement that we also can't out supplement a horse that's not in adequate work um long term we can't you know we can't go here's a magic pill to a magic supplement to make up for training that your horse needs that it's not having and we can't out supplement a poor trainer or rider mismatch um so again you know we've got some beautiful fine, gentle, caring, bomb-proof horses and ponies out there, which is terrific when we're starting riding or if we're nervy, if we've had a bad episode. But if we are a really nervy, anxious person or we're highly stressed, don't stop to breathe, going on a really sensitive horse um, or a younger horse or a horse, you know, that's not so much of a bomb-proof horse or pony, then that can be a recipe for disaster and we can't effectively supplement that so it's really worth keeping in mind um, it's really important to remember that a lot of supplements have dubious quality supplements don't have to list what's in them unless they're a veterinary registered product and on the flip side they can list that they contain uh, particular ingredients that that supplement may not so just remember that a lot of supplements have dubious quality remember that many companies many products will have clever marketing behind them Again, remember, the job of supplement and fee companies at the end of the day is to make a profit and sell their product. So just keep that in mind. It's well worth remembering that even if we do use a poor quality product or we don't use it in suitable dose, if there's some part of us that believes it's helping our horse, we may see um, a visible effect. We may have a calmer, happier horse. And that's most likely to be a bit of a placebo effect because we think we're doing something that's helpful to our horses, our own stress levels and anxiety levels and cortisol levels will go down. And as um, we chatted about at the very start of the podcast, when our stress levels, heart rate levels, cortisol levels go down, our horses do too. So if we're more relaxed, even if we're eating a poor quality supplement, then that can be enough to help relax our horses, um, particularly if their behaviour is uh, closely associated to our anxious or stressed behaviour. 
whenever we do use supplements, if they're well indicated, and by all means, I use supplements in terms of a lot of the prescriptions I do for horses. They can be very effective if they're um, prescribed and applied appropriately. Um, so we want to be really strategic about how we use supplements in terms of the forms we use, the dosage we use, interactions that supplement um, may have, the time frame we use them for. But if we're really strategic with them when we use them, they can be really, really beneficial. And remembering that gas down gastrointestinal health is absolutely critical to, yeah, happy, healthy, calm horses. Um, and that lack of ulcers or no ulcers doesn't automatically indicate good gastrointestinal health. So that's putting it into practice in terms of how people can get in touch. They are more than welcome to jump onto my website, which is all the W's dot optimequine.com. Optimequine spelled O P. T-I-M-E-Q-U-I-N-E dot com. Readers will find my email address, my contact details on there. And you can also follow Optimequine on both Facebook and Instagram. So, yeah, I think that could be a good place for people to start. Okay, and if you've missed those details, remember to go to horsechats.com and you can search for Camilla or search for Wishore. And at the bottom of Camilla's page, for this page, and not just that, but for her other pages as well, you'll get those contact details at the bottom of the page and you'll be able to contact her through that way as well, just in case you haven't got a pen and you haven't written it down and you're listening, driving in the car or out with the horses or something else. So, Camilla, thank you. Thank you again. Really good chat, you know, and I just think it's easy to just go, oh, yeah, my horse is anxious or my horse is this or that, and you've explained all the reasons it could be, but, you know, it could be something that you complement with diet too. So, you know, we've talked about the diet and the supplements, and I think if you've got any individual issues that you'd like to explain or if you, if you want to listen again, certainly listen again, but if you've got individual issues with your horse, then I think contact Camilla directly and uh, you'll be very happy that you did. Camilla, thanks for coming on again and we hope to um, catch up with you again soon. My pleasure, Gladys. Thanks for having me again. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 